Welcome to Maine's Oyster Aquaculture Podcast. My name is Bill Pernum. Here we have weekly conversations with oyster farmers, many who are marine biologists, ninth generation fishermen, or former hedge fund guys, but all are driven by the desire to work on the water and to fight the impact of climate change. These are global stories just told locally. Maine faces some big challenges. The Gulf of Maine is the second fastest warming body of water on the planet. But these folks have ideas and solutions driven by science and innovation. These entrepreneurs are a resilient, gritty group. Oyster Aquaculture cleans water, helps coastal communities, preserves Maine's working waterfront, just as it contributes to Maine's economy, the food scene, and tourism. These are stories told with humor and optimism about the best oysters in the world. In 1985, Carter Newell and Chris Davis got together with another Colby graduate, Jeff McKean. Jeff is better known as Smokey McKean, and they formed the Pemiquid Oyster Company on the Damariscotta River in South Bristol. Pemiquid Oyster Company is now well known for growing some of the best oysters in the world. Smokey graduated as a philosophy major and got his graduate degree in folklore from the University of Maine. Smokey then worked as a carpenter, and he plays banjo and mandolin in a popular folk band, Old Grey Goose, with Carter Newell. They've played all over the world. Since Smokey was the carpenter, he built a lot of the equipment. McKean said he had been a landlubber before learning to raise oysters, and he learned his biology and water skills on the job. This interview was done a while back with my friends over at Omain Studios. I think you're going to find this interview interesting. My name is Smokey McKean. I'm one of the co-owners of the Pemiquid Oyster Company, right here down at Clark's Cove in Walpole, Maine. Walpole is a part of South Bristol. And this is the uh, old Ed Myers uh, working waterfront dock. Ed was, a, was the first Maine aquaculturist, shellfish aquaculturist, and he had a mussel farm here in the cove. We have rafts out in the cove that we keep oysters in after harvest, before sales. And uh, there's also a mussel farm in the cove, and there's a seaweed farm. And there are two lobster boats that fish out of, out of this wharf. So it's, it's definitely become a working waterfront situation. So we formed the company in the winter of 86 and planted our first oysters in the summer of 1986. We thought we would sell our first oysters for 25 cents each. And that, well, that was a while ago. 25 cents was probably worth a lot more than it is now. But we found out that as soon as we started selling them, they were worth quite a bit more than 25 cents. They grew. We sold them in a couple of years and planted more each year. I forget how many we planted the first year, maybe a couple hundred thousand. Now we buy two million seed a year. We've changed the technology over the years. We have various generations of different equipment. We've been harvesting pretty much the same way, um, either by diving um, or dragging. And now we pretty much drag the oysters off the bottom. So we, we grow the oysters um, as juveniles in floating cages and then plant them on the bottom freely, loosely, no confinement. They're free-range oysters. Uh, they sit on the bottom for a year to a year and a half, and then we harvest them. The Damariscotta River is certainly a unique place to grow shellfish, and I guess... There's a couple of things. One is the, the warm temperatures. We're 12 miles. Right here, we're only four miles upstream from the mouth of the river. But um, where the farms are mostly located is uh, 10 to 12 miles from the mouth of the river. 
and it's a big wide estuary, as you can see in the background. Um, there aren't very many estuaries in Maine that are this, that have full tidal water 12 miles upstream and this broad of a, of a, of a river basin. So it's deep. It, there's a lot of water that comes in from the ocean. It's a full tide all the way to Damascotta Village. So um, it's almost full salinity. It's almost full tide. It is full tide, um, but it's very shallow upriver. And above the Damascotta Newcastle Bridge is a place called Great Salt Bay, which is a huge tidal basin that acts as a solar collector. So every day in the summer when the, when the tide water fills Great Salt Bay, it's a shallow basin of water that heats up. And then that hot water, warm, warm water comes back down and, and runs across the oyster beds. Um, so we get summer water temperatures of almost 75 degrees Fahrenheit. And for the main coast, that's pretty much unheard of. Um, to find a place with full tide and 75 degree water um, is, is pretty rare. You are what you eat, I guess, if you're an oyster. The oysters are, are eating phytoplankton body of water that's rich in phytoplankton because of the temperatures, because of the nutrients. It's relatively clean water, but the reason we take our oysters from the farm site eight miles upstream and bring them down to Clark's Cove and hold them prior to harvest to sail is that um, upriver the water, we grow the oysters in 10 to 20 feet of water, and most of the river up there is only 20 feet, 30 feet of water. Uh, and a lot of it is shallow um, coves that empty out at low tide, mudflats. And the water comes in over the mudflats and heats up and then and flows back out. But that mud also gets stirred up. On a windy day, as you take a boat upriver, you'll see the shore, 40 feet from shore, the water's brown because the mud is being stirred up into the water. So upriver, you can see that the water has got more sediment in the water column, especially in, on windy days or when a big boat goes by and drives a wake against the beach. But down here where the water is 50 or 60 feet deep and even deeper in places, the, the way the oysters are grown affect the way the oysters look more than the flavor. We grow our oysters on the bottom for their last year to two years, so they're in colder water at that point. They're in warm water when they're juveniles, when they really need the warm water. The, cold, the bigger oysters can grow in colder water. Um, so we put them on the bottom where we don't have to tend them. They're, they're on their own for a year to a year and a half. What we recover is a, is a hard-shell oyster with a nice deep cup. The difference in the taste is that um, half of what you're eating is the liquor. The oyster liquor is really just the water that was captured by the oyster when it closed its shell and came out of the river. You can taste the difference. You know, we have about 12 acres of bottom lease. We tend to sell a larger oyster than a lot of the farms, partly because um, we grow on the bottom. So the bottom, the bottom grown oysters from the growers, there's several other growers that grow on the bottom, um, because you're not keeping them in cages there's a lot of oysters grown on the surface now all around the country. And so in the 30 years that we've been in business, we've seen oysters get smaller and smaller. We do sell different sizes, though. We have a, we have a cocktail, what we call a cocktail, which is our smaller oyster, um, a select grade, which is our restaurant size, and, um, and a jumbo. They get bigger, they, and they pretty much taste the same. Yeah. Um, they're just awful big to, to slide off the shell into your mouth and, and eat raw. Uh, you almost need a steak knife and a fork. We've been farming oysters for now 30. This is our 32nd season. We farm about 14 acres altogether. I have two partners that I own the company with and operate the company with, uh, Carter and Chris that I mentioned, two full-time employees, and then we have seasonal um, extra help in the, in the busy part of the year, which is the summer. 
best time to eat the oysters is from September through December. They're sweeter in the fall because they're preparing for that long winter. They hibernate, they don't feed in the winter, so they build up a glycogen, which is uh, sugar. As they're preparing for winter, the shells stop growing, but the meats inside continue to plump up to prepare themselves for the long winter. There's a huge market in the Northeast for oysters, but New York and Boston and Philadelphia, there's a huge market. Northern oysters are better than Southern oysters, so I could understand why they might want us to ship to Florida or Georgia or South Carolina. We can ship oysters 24 hours. They're being delivered to a restaurant in New York. Um, so that's pretty cool. We, we lease our, our growing area from the public, from the state. So we're kind of held to a higher standard about how we operate. And so we try to be stewards of the river. We, uh, we pick up the stuff that we see floating by or the stuff that gets pushed up on the beach. Uh, we need to keep the water quality uh, that our businesses are dependent on this being some of the cleanest ocean water. But Maine is now known for its oysters. And that wasn't the case 32 years ago. And now people come back to the Damariscotta area knowing that they're going to have a plate of the best oysters they've ever had. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I've been all over the world, I've eaten oysters in Europe, I've eaten oysters in Asia, I've eaten oysters in Australia, but these are the best oysters I've ever had. When you stop in to have a, have a drink or have a, have a dinner and you see somebody enjoying your oysters at the next table over, it's hard not to you know, watch their reaction when they eat the oyster or even say, Everything okay over there? Are you enjoying the oysters? And then that brings up the whole conversation that, yeah, yeah, I grew them and our farm is just a couple of miles from here. Damariscotta is, is different than a lot of places on the main coast. And one thing is that we've been growing oysters here now for 30 some years. The Indians, of course, ate oysters for 2000 years here. And everybody's aware of the shell heaps that are here. So they knew that oysters were part of the culture here for 2,000 years. One interesting thing is that uh, as the water temperatures have warmed up two or three degrees in the last 30 years, it's gotten to the stage 74, 73, 75 degrees where oysters will reproduce in the wild. And we've repopulated the Damariscotta River with wild oysters. Because we grow arguably the best oyster in the world, not only do we take pride in that oyster, the growers, but the community does. We fry them at home, we pan fry them in the skillet, we make stew once in a while, we bake them, and we eat a lot of raw oysters. Maine fishermen have been feeding our communities for generations. Now our fishermen are working to help feed some of our most vulnerable neighbors who are struggling these days with food insecurity. The folks at Maine Coast Fishermen's Association have put together a wonderful program, and it's called Fishermen feeding Mainers. I hope you will consider helping support it. You just go to Maine Coast Fishermen Association website to learn more and to donate if you can. It's a great program and you can find it at www.maincoastfishermen.org. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time when we'll have Ben Martin, Executive Director of Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. If you like stories like this, visit MaineOysterBook.com for more conversations with the people who have and are creating the story of Maine oyster aquaculture. And you can pre-order the new book from Perna Content, Maine Oysters, 
Stories of Resilience and Innovation. This book is filled with wonderful insights from very interesting people, and it's filled with stunning photography from some of Maine's best photographers. Printer Content is very pleased that Oyster Grow has joined the Maine Oyster Aquaculture Podcast. Oyster Grow equipment and systems have been developed through many years of innovation and testing. The Oyster Grow system offers the knowledge and the equipment required for cost-efficient commercial production of high-quality oysters. Oyster Grow, designed to deliver. For more information, visit OysterGrow.com or call Oyster Grow's New England distributor, Thomas Henninger, at 207-318-5617. Portion of the proceeds of this podcast and Maine Oyster Book are contributed to the Maine Community Foundation. The Maine Community Foundation works to improve the quality of life for all Maine people. To find out more, visit mainecf.org. See you next week, and thanks for listening.